the Naked Podcaster. I'm really excited because we're talking about something unique today, a couple different things. Uh, this is Catherine Hudson, and your website is Catherine Hudson fiction.com. Fiction. I was right. I would have been right, but I second guessed myself. <laughs> I couldn't move my screen enough. Catherine Hudson fiction.com. And I cyber stalked you a little bit, and I'm super excited. So tell me all about your website first, and welcome. Why, thank you very much, Jen. I'm happy to be here. Um, all about my website. So as I'm sure uh, is quite self-evident, katherinehudsonfiction.com is my author website. I um, publish fantasy and sci-fi, dark fantasy specifically, and uh, uh, dystopian sci-fi and LGBTQ speculative oh. fiction across the board. Yes. Um, and I publish everything uh under exquisite darkness press that is my own i consider myself an indie publisher and there will only be much more coming along in the future um but i've got six books out right now uh seventh book is coming out in may and that is the sequel to um my international bestseller, which is the, the one and only so far, the LGBTQ dystopian sci-fi, um, that's Sleepwater Beat, Sleepwater Static, will be out in May. Um, okay. And that is that is my website. You can find out all the information about, about me at my website. I have all the and books. And it'll be in the show notes. We'll be in the show notes. And I, I buy books. I buy every podcast guest who has written a book I have purchased and then I know you're gonna die when you hear this I leave a review at the end you do I that amazing. Amazing. and we'll do a plug here like if this podcast makes a difference to you leave a review and tell us why like books podcasts I'm an author like we that's how we rank that's how we I mean it's everything for us so yes I always do that because I know how much it means I'm an author too that's and I'm wonderful. not a best-selling author <laughs> not yet it does right. not yet but it doesn't i mean it's a lot of work and i and because i've written one book and i'm on to number two you've written six yeah so, that's so well, for anyone who writes well yeah well hang on you've written six <laughs> hang on though <laughs> right anybody who writes at all because i have a blog also and it's a lot of freaking work so good job well thank you very yeah. much thank yeah. you you also, though, are a ghostwriter. And that's why I said yes. six books, but We're laughing. We're laughing. <laughs> yeah. Because ghostwriting, I've got a little bit of that. And it's like all, just as much work with zero glory because you're it under is, that person's name. Yes, that part is true. I would say it is much less work overall if, yeah. if one is, you know, an indie author, indie publisher like I am, um, when I'm ghostwriting and providing work for my clients. I don't have to do anything beyond writing the book. So I True. get my first draft and I turn it in. And yes, someone else's name goes on the cover of the book, um, but I, they pay me enough to make that okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this is my full-time job. I am writing, uh, you know, 50 hours a week. And yeah. that is, you know, providing for my family completely. And, plus my own book. So I'm fortunate that way. And people do ask me all the time, isn't that like, don't you hate it? And your name doesn't go on there. No, no, I don't hate it at all. And also I keep all the best ideas for myself and my own work. So right. I'm not worried about it. And ghostwriting also, well, I, when I've done it, it hasn't been fiction. So nonfiction is a little bit different because it's that person's story. So it's interviews mm -hmm. and um, getting to know them and kind of writing in their style. With fiction, is it less difficult, do you think? Um, it's definitely more creative. Yeah, um, okay, that's a great way to say it. Right, when I, when I, and I have ghostwritten nonfiction, um, that does require a lot of materials up front so I can get the full picture of everything first and then I can write. And right. when it's fiction, you know, there's a plot, maybe, or I may just be given a sentence of write something about this, and then I do, <laughs> so I get to just make everything up. Yes. Yeah, I think same. Yeah, because writing is difficult no matter what. I mean, it really is, but ghostwriting something where it's more creative 
in that regard. That's you using like your brain power and where your imagination takes you instead of trying to keep it the tone of the person and their timeline. And so different, different. Mm -hmm. When I looked into ghostwriting and saw what the, like just an average ghostwriter, just, you know, I'm me, I'm an average ghostwriter and what you, what can be charged for it. I was astounded. You can do a really great living, but you have to do a volume. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. There's quite a volume. I write about a book a week for my clients. Oh my gosh. It's a lot. And I didn't start out at that speed by any means. It was, it's been a year and a half now that I've been doing this and I just keep like exponential (laughs) growth. It's an incredible uh, challenge and experience and way to stretch the kinds of muscles I probably wouldn't have the opportunity to do only writing for myself. Um, but it's, yeah, it's pretty crazy. And that's, that's what got me into ghostwriting and starting it. When I, I had seen a, um, I attended a webinar where someone was talking about ghostwriting and showing, you know, like, Oh, look, I got paid this much for this project. And I was like, it cost me to write my book yeah like most most people it does so I'm just incredibly incredibly fortunate um you know my my husband was able to stop working last October and become a stay-at-home dad we have a three-year-old daughter and it's just me and my ghostwriting and my own fiction and it's it's working out really well for all three of us (laughs) That's amazing. So October, 2019, just yeah. in case somebody's listening at some point in the future. <laughs> so for like six, five or six months, he's been able to, mm-hmm. that is so great. How empowering is that? It's really fantastic. And yeah, is, you know, off of one of the things that, I mean, I remember I went to, I went to college at CU Boulder for creative writing fiction. Okay. Major, and that was what I always wanted to do. And, you know, there's always, so many comments of like, well, what are you going to do with a degree in fiction? Like nobody makes money until they get traditionally published and then nobody gets traditionally published. What do you, you know, <laughs> at this point, you know, it's one of those, okay. Writing fiction is my superpower. Yes. I'm turning it into the life, you know, like it's pretty cool. And it I don't v- care that other people's names are on it. No, it's, I mean, and I bring that up so that people have reference to it. So I worked corporate for a long time. Mm-hmm. I worked for a nonprofit. My name's not on anything. Right. You know, I mean, right. like, if you go to a traditional job and you're working your butt off, whether you are just clocking in and hating life or you're really passionate and you love it, it was that company. It was that nonprofit. Yeah. It wasn't, it was, it had nothing to do with me. You have no ego or you shouldn't when you're working a job for someone else, because it isn't about you. It's someone else's dream or vision that created that company or nonprofit. And it's you working to make their dream and vision a reality. And your name is really not on it. Right. And yeah. There's some play in that, but you know, you're get you're taking a paycheck in return that your name is not on it. You also don't have to do the marketing, you don't have to do the publishing, you probably don't have to do formatting. So when you write a book and you publish, for for people who haven't done it, I remember doing the first time like, how many oh one, yeah, how many one more things are there gonna be? You know, cause like, Always. You're never done. my editor's like, okay, there's one more thing. And I'm like, really? Cause this is like one more thing number seven. Right. <laughs> right. Because you don't know what you don't know. And exactly. now writing the second book, I, I'm not, now it's, there are no surprises once you've done it once. Right. Did you launch, you said indie publishing, did you launch your own publishing as well? Or did you just <laughs> make a system for yourself? Hmm. Hmm. What's, what's the difference between those? They're the same thing to me, but do you, okay. I, I don't publish anyone else. Okay. You only publish yourself. You have a good system. Is it under a separate name or a separate company identity, the publishing? Yes. Oh, good. Yes. That is, that's exquisite darkness press. So that is my, it is. Yes. That, um, it's completely different. And there may be a time in the future where I bring on other authors. Who knows? I have no idea for right now. It's just me, but that was, you know, what I, I wanted to separate that as its own entity and my stuff in there. And I thought about I'm that still too. Doing all of it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but you do get a good system. 
of doing yeah. it. Do you do your own formatting in that? I do. I actually, <gasps> I actually taught myself CSS, HTML code uh, to build eBooks like exactly the way I wanted them in all kinds of fancy ways, um, which was really fun because I didn't know I had the brain power for that. It's very, it's very cool. <laughs> I was going to learn the formatting. I had a friend who had a program and he's like, you can do your book and learn it. Mm. And I said, okay. So we uploaded it. He showed me two things. We ran out of time and like the, the weekend happened. He's like, Hey, your book's done. And I was like, what? Oh. He's like, you know, when you do it all that, like for you, when you learn to do it, it was probably painful. And, and that then, took a long time. Right. Once you have it, it's so dialed in, I could send you something and you could be like, click and it's, you know, not quite that easy, but yeah, it wouldn't take very long at all. Right. And that's where he was. He's like, look, I do this all the time and it was sitting here and I came into the office and I was just going to mess with it and it's done. So I never learned how to, yeah, I was like, (laughs) okay. So I never learned how to format, but I mean, it's a skill. So you could actually. If you are doing book covers, book backs, or you have someone, you know, all of the little things you don't realize you have to do, the binding, mm-hmm. but formatting is like the single biggest difficult thing once you've written it, I think. What are your thoughts? Yeah. If you, well, in terms, on the technical side, absolutely. Yeah. On the everything that happens before you hit publish side. Yes. Yes. That, it is the most time consuming, um, even when you know, I've done it so many times. Um, yeah. yeah, that is, that is the hardest part. I would say. Absolutely. I was going to separate <laughs> mine into publishing, but because I didn't learn how to do that, it didn't make sense. It didn't right. matter if I separated. <laughs> <laughs> I robbed, um, but that's, it is a skill. So your publishing company, although it's just you, you could turn around and offer that service for other authors. Too. I could, I could. And yeah. I had, um, I was editing, I ha- had been editing um, manuscripts of all types for about seven years until just this last November when I said, I'm done guys. I don't have any time. I can't do, I can't do it anymore. I'm sorry. Um, but I did also used to um, offer consulting for indie authors on the technical side. So it was showing people how to do all the things that I do for my own publishing imprint. And then also on the side, if they didn't want to do that, they didn't want to learn how I offered the services. Well, well, I'll just do them for you then. (laughs) Take care of it. So I I did do all of that for a while. And, and then um, the the ghostwriting in my own books Mm -hmm. took off and took up all of my time and my energy. And uh, it's, it's much more fulfilling yeah for now so I had I had to say goodbye it was a bittersweet closing the doors of that editing because I've been doing it for so long and I really that's what got me into building a business around the literary world and books in general I just think people don't realize how many opportunities there are to build businesses in this Mm -hmm. realm if you want to if you build the skills because you can edit you can proofread you can you can create book covers um you could do the formatting and then there's a marketing aspect of it. Okay. So how and why do you think that that book out of the six became a bestseller? Did you do something different with that one? Uh, A few things actually. Um, It's, it's an international bestseller. The others, well, two of the others have been um, bestsellers multiple times. Um, Okay on Amazon and, and a few other platforms, but the big one is, is internationally. Um, the, the difference I think is probably the content, the book itself, the, the genre. It's, I know for me personally, there is a gigantic lack of like speculative fiction with queer characters that are represented in a way that it it goes beyond the tropes and beyond the cliches of having queer characters in fiction. So I want more fantasy and sci-fi with queer characters in them. Yes. And that's what I wrote. 
and that the queerness is not the plot. <laughs> so um, I, was, I was writing and putting out there what I wanted to see more of. Mm. And that had something to do with it. I also, I somehow got a, um, a BookBub featured deal for this book. So that helped. Um, and then it also um, was an award-winning sci-fi finalist in the 2019 International Book Awards. So there was, there was a lot that just kind of yeah. happened all at the same time, and it, it evolved. So it's really, you know, I do have some, some tricks up my sleeve where I'll go to certain uh, promotions providers, you know, um, submit deals with certain companies, and they send out their emails and um, stuff like that. And then, you know, of course, I have Mickey, I have my publicist, so correct, correct, yeah. Easily with getting the word out about stuff, and and um, I'm currently working right now with a sort of mentor to help me kind of pin down the formula for how I can do this with all my other books, yeah, and bring the you know we're getting the word out. It's here. It's amazing, and bring that together with sales, <laughs> with, yeah, you know, with. I guess bigger, bigger exposure and more of a moneymaker at the same time. It, that, I mean, <laughs> formatting is hard technically, but the marketing, I mean, just being a published author, getting from point A to point B to book it. You know, I remember when I picked up the boxes of books, they were like, <laughs> right. You're like, oh, and you're just feeling it. And you think, holy cow, I, I got from point A to like, I got, I'm here. Yeah. And yeah. just that was that, just that is enormous when people get to that point, but then taking it that step farther, your books are not going to make a difference to the readers if people aren't reading them. Correct. So <laughs> I'm real quick on the pickup there. No. So <laughs> where being altruistic about how beautiful your book is when you do it yourself is great. It does not. And it's not just about making money in the book sales. It's really about like getting this into the hands of somebody where they love it and it makes a difference. It brings them joy. Mm. It changes their life. It opens their world for yours. I'm sure it helps you escape to some degree because that's how I feel when I read fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, but mostly at this point, I'm just like, Hey, this is a really badass story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know it's awesome when I started writing yes it was very much an escape and very much a, a yeah. coping mechanism right like a safety net that I built myself but now it's just it's just fun my my husband will say put like if I if I don't write over the weekends if I don't write one day <laughs> I get really cranky and I turn oh. like a horrible person so it's like a thing <laughs> that like I have to do otherwise you know he'll ask me Oh, you didn't write today, did you? You want to take a couple hours and like work this out, maybe? So it's gotten to that point. It's you know, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I do it just because, just because I love it. And I guess apparently yeah. I have to. I feel like <laughs> didn't know that before, but now, yeah, I guess it's a good excuse not to stop. <laughs> well, it is, and I'm. It's it's great that that levels you out. That that creative outlet is something. I mean. Mm -hmm. That's a wonderful thing. We're going to go back in your story now. So yeah. we'll, and we'll, we'll tie that in that that's a great, that's a great problem to have is that you need to write more and that kind of levels you out or however you want to say for me, it's running when my kids were younger, they'd be like, and I know I wasn't being a terrible person or terrible mom, but they knew they got the best version of me if I just went right. for a run. Right. And so it's great to know what brings out the best version of you. And if yeah. that's what it is, like big deal, like great, and How you're making cool. money. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'll go make a couple thousand dollars and write myself, you know, just. <laughs> yeah. So take us back in your so story. Bad. Yeah. Take you. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Taking you back in my story. I'll say my story started and it is really all just enmeshed together. When I was yes. 10. 10. Uh, okay which is when I started to write, okay. um, which is well, like I discovered that like, oh my gosh, if I want a story to turn out differently, I can just make it that way myself. This is amazing. Um, when I was 10, it was also the age when my parents got divorced. Mm -hmm. And so big life explosions in that way as well. It's also really 
<laughs> like when my memory starts, I think too. I'm sure there are things I could pick up from before then, but really like life starting as like my own <laughs> internal monologue <laughs> process uh, when I was 10. So, um, and like I said that, of course I didn't know it at the time as a 10 year old, uh, that the, the process of writing for me and escaping into these worlds that I was creating was that uh, release, you know, getting everything out onto the page, escaping from my life, escaping from the insanity of everything else that was going around me through my parents' divorce. And it was not, uh, it was not an amicable or, um, it wasn't pretty, <laughs> put it that way. It was not, yeah. not a pretty, not a pretty uh, separation with my parents and it, it continued to be not pretty for very 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 long time um and in some ways well i guess we can get there later <laughs> but um so i guess that was also the time when i realized that i had something to escape from um oh and, wow you know that's <laughs> that is when it all it all started and that was you know it became very intentional by the time I got to high school. I knew absolutely why I was writing and why I was, you know, I'd get home from school and lock myself in my room just to write all day and just to avoid the rest of everything else that was happening. Um, and and I also had always felt just particularly weird and out there. Um, <laughs> So, and that, that is another common thread through my entire life. And now I know I'm weird and out there, but it's a good thing. And it is like the funneled into what I do. And, um, and I'm, I'm good with that. <laughs> do you, do you think that we all are just in different ways and we just at 10 to set like that 10 to 18, you just don't realize that everybody else is too. And that they're all feeling the same way. Right. Right. Totally. Yeah. And there's, yeah, and then uh, to varying degrees, yes. Yes. Their own, like, I'm not making this work. I don't fit. Like, right. You just had your own unique. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so when you were 10 and the divorce was happening, I, I mean, I can understand that as a kid who saw a divorce also, and I've been divorced. It's pretty um, earth shattering for those mm -hmm. kids. It's really difficult. How long did it last? Who did you end up living with? How did the relationship with the other parent go? What was, what did that look like? Ah, uh, a big giant, just, just a giant mess. <laughs> that lasted forever. Um, yeah. So my, <laughs> my mother, um, had and still has significant mental health issues that she is dealing with. I hope that she is. Um, and it, it made things very difficult for everyone else involved yeah. in, in this divorce. And um, I got, I got a lot more involved than I wanted to be. I was forced to be a lot more involved than I wanted to be. Um, so my, like, <laughs> Uh, participation or experience of my parents getting divorced is really, um, really skewed, I think. I hope, I really hope that most people uh, who have been, you know, children of divorce or, or who are, who are, or who may be, um, have some form of separation between, you know, themselves and who they are, and then a parent who is completely losing it and depending on a 10 year old to fix everything, which right. is not, you know, <laughs> not that we hope that anyone ever gets divorced, but there are better ways to do it, I think. Um, and so I didn't actually go to live with one parent. I lived out of a suitcase and spent Sunday night through Thursday morning at my mother's house and Thursday night through Sunday morning at my dad's house every week for seven years oh my gosh yeah Holy cow. and they lived I mean they lived like an hour away from each other but I still went to the same school okay um 
So there was a lot of driving <laughs> at the end of the week. Right. Yeah. And tension and mm-hmm. homework yeah. and your stuff's not, yeah, I, that's right. awful. <laughs> yeah. It's not like if you forget something, you can just run over and grab it and. Yeah, no. And it wasn't, yeah, it was, it was never like, and it was a lot of, uh, no, this is your time to be with me right now. So if you forgot something, tough shit, <laughs> right. Wait till right. Thursday, you know? So, um, it was, yeah. And it, it was, uh, it was not fun. And, uh, so, so there was all of that going on and a lot of pressure and a lot of, mm-hmm. there's a lot of gaslighting and a lot of emotional abuse and yep. blame and guilt trips and, um, all of it continued. It only came from one side. My dad actually, um, just kind of put up a wall and was like, Nope, I'm not involving children in this. And I'm just going to be, I'm going to put on a, my dad mask when you guys are with me and yeah. then not tell you, you know? So it was a weird, like getting 5,000% from one side and negative a hundred percent from the other yeah. side and wondering like, what's real, what's not, what's happening. Who's, fault is this who actually did the thing that is being said that was done like I don't right or did it exist at all and you shouldn't know about it and yes exactly yes I totally get it I've found out so much in the last few years even since having you know my own kid and she's three right so but being an adult and having a incredibly fantastic relationship with my dad and uh and his wife now who is my mom you know um that you know, I have fortunately had the opportunity to talk with him about everything. Good. So since then, that's better. Yes, absolutely. It's better. And I went from, you know, truly, truly believing that I was the crazy one <laughs> and that, you know, all the problems and all the blame it started with me, it started with the 10, 12, 15, 17 year old. <laughs> yeah. Um, until I've, finally got out and and at that point I was already uh, drowning in a whole other host of issues that I had intentionally inserted myself into yeah well and one of the great things is that it I mean one of the really (laughs) great things is that it started you on your journey of writing yes escaping what was going on but also funneling everything in your head Mm -hmm. and I mean for a horrible situation it probably gave you some pretty good content I would hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, I, think so. I mean, it's a lot of very bloody, violent, gory, just, I don't need anyone. So. Right, right. The whole world kind of content. It was, no baggage-related yeah. issues there. Nope. None whatsoever. <laughs> so you, and okay, so now that was the situation with your parents and the kind of the catalyst for lots of other stuff. So go into that. When, because I know that you had a couple different things, um, <laughs> hospitalizations, near homelessness. Mm-hmm. Take us through kind of chronologically when the other issues started to present themselves. Yeah. So um, let's see, when I was, when I was 17, I made the decision that I would no longer be living out of suitcase going back and forth between my parents' houses. Um, and so I, <laughs> in my 17 year old wisdom yes, which is very wise <laughs> it's, it's wonderful beyond years <laughs> at all points <laughs> um decided that the best option for me was to go live with my mother because um there were no rules or structures yeah. and i could do whatever i wanted uh because there was really no one there ever and like it, you know <laughs> there was no stability and it was just kind of like cool I got it I'm good I'm gonna take care of this and I was the leader of my own life (laughs) um and so I kind of just went uh kind of just went nuts uh and so I was you know holding all of this guilt and feeling responsible for what's happening with my parents and obviously then the end of high school like (laughs) I'm so done (laughs) I had I didn't have any friends not because I like was left out or nobody liked me, but because I didn't like anyone else. <laughs> I was like, I'm out. <laughs> no, I don't want to hang out with you. <laughs> I'm gonna go home. 
don't talk to me. So um, that, that changed quickly, I think after high school, but um, I, I decided that it was uh, time for me to just kind of go out and expand upon my own and take, take every opportunity that came my way. And, uh, and I was going to be in charge of what happened to me what happened to me from then on uh, because I had had plenty of things forced upon me <laughs> before then. Um, and so I, yeah, I, I took every opportunity and started hanging out with uh, some people who were a little bit older and I'd met them through some friends and um, there's one guy that I had started dating. We were, you know, being crazy people dating um and he he actually uh, laid out a line of heroin for me to snort on a table he didn't tell me what it was and he said just do this you'll love it it's great and I was like, okay and, uh, perfect right it's and that's where i was you know i was like i'm invincible well, even i know i'm not invincible but i don't care right which almost worse I mean, yeah. I don't know which I mean, one is, yeah. Ignorance or like willful destruction. <laughs> well, I think that's pretty common, you know, <laughs> that you're like, no one else is going to destroy me, but I, I'm going to self-destruct yeah. instead. Yeah. Like I'm going to control my own destruction. I, mm -hmm. I, I completely right. understand exactly. that. Exactly. So you didn't know what it was, but you were like, ah, oh, screw it. I'll do it anyway. Yeah. And I did it and, uh, and I fell in love with it. Like it was like the most the most beautiful um it was <laughs> love in a warm blanket inside my body like doesn't get much better than that and uh and then I just talked all night I just remember this so vividly I was <laughs> so happy and so like this is amazing and everything's amazing and the trees are beautiful and I'm like I wah, 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 wah. and this guy that I was dating was like oh man I I really, this had the opposite effect of what I wanted. Like, I thought I was going to get you to shut up, and you just, it's worse now. And that was the kind of person that he was. I dated him for a while, broke up with him when he uh, held a knife to my throat, and then. Oh, is it. that all it took? Yeah. <laughs> right before, right before he did a bunch of heroin right there, and so it was all. <laughs> wow. So it was a. Life choices. <laughs> Well, all of us at 17 are making good life choices because we're so wise. Excuse me. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, okay. So he's abusive yeah. and. Very much so. Yeah. You, and that was 18, 19 after high school too. You were not loaded enough to like not care that he held a gun. Cause I mean, a lot of times people are in a situation like, how do you tolerate that? Well, you, you weren't in the right frame of mind to even realize that you shouldn't be tolerating that, but hold. So right. you think how crazy someone holds a knife to your head, you stay, but really it depends on where your, your head space is. Yeah. Well, you, I, I didn't stay. I didn't, yeah. I mean, that's a really good stay. thing. Yeah. I, I walked, walked out of there when it was over. I walked out of the house and went home and, uh, and then he like texted me a couple days later. I was like, Hey, when are we going to hang out? I'm like, are you serious? No, then that's it. Like, no, <laughs> that's yeah. That's insane. You no, know, it's the only time I'd ever had, uh, any where I'd, I'd ever experienced any abuse that was actually physical. Yeah. Um, in a, when I was in an actual relationship with someone, um, and that's like a hard line for me. Yep. Yep. So at least I figured that one out pretty early. <laughs> that, no, that's good. Okay. We're making a list of things that are not acceptable. <laughs> right. Knife to the throat. That is how I learned how to be who I want to be is by having been provided a list of things that I don't want to be. Well, it's not a bad starting place. Not the most ideal way to do it. So right. When you had heroin that first time, I'm guessing it wasn't your first experience with any drug or alcohol. Correct. But I don't know if you know this, but it has a higher addiction rate. I do know this. Yes. yes. It also, feeling. <laughs> also has a much lower uh, recovery rate as well. Yeah, it does.
Yeah. So what happened the first time? I mean, was that it for you? Were you like, you wanted it again? You want, that's a space you wanted to live in. Cause if it's that beautiful and wonderful. Right. Um, no, actually I, I did it like a few more times and it was, you know, when I hung out with a certain group of people because they had it and like, okay, yeah, I'll go for it. No problem. But I was going to college at the time okay. and I, I went to CU Boulder in Colorado. Um, and majored in creative writing fiction. Right. And I was, I wanted to go to school. I, I uh, had transferred my entire freshman year of college credits from high school. So I came in as a sophomore um, and had set up this like super fast track for me to go through and get my degree in two and a half years, my bachelor's degree, two and a half years. And just, you know, was ready to go gung ho and then be done with it. Um, and so, no, I, I didn't, like, just continuously go back all the time. And it was a, it's a long, about a year-long process, maybe, I don't know, eight months, nine months, um, where things just kept compounding to the point where, um, you know, I was, like, trying to figure out other relationships and dating people and and I still felt so much weirder and like not fitting in with everyone else. Um, and I, I then started doing more heroin just to dumb myself down mm. so that I could, I could have conversations with everyone else that I was around and I didn't feel like, Oh, I'm up here and no one, no one's getting it. So if I dumbed myself down, then I could be in the conversations and, and be a part of things. Um, and that sounds <laughs> a little stuck up, but it was, it was actually, uh, I think that was the thing that I struggled with the most was okay. not having found any of my own peers who were thinking at the same level or who had the same passions, understood the same things, or, you know, could hold a conversation about things yeah. that I guess, people I was around at the time were interested in. And so, and I would open my mouth and something normal for me would come out and everyone's like, what's that? <laughs> what are yeah. you talking about? So I was, you know, started, I started doing a lot more heroin to fit in. Um, and, and then things with uh, my mother just continued um, to, escalate in weird ways you know I had thought that graduating high school and going out to live on my own and starting college would have ended that yeah it didn't no. uh, just kind of followed me around um so that that was still happening and then you know the not really stress of of school it was just an annoyance <laughs> it was just something that I had to do to get to where I thought I wanted to be and I didn't enjoy it. Um, and, uh, and then I remember very specifically ending a relationship one night, uh, and being so totally just heartbroken and really upset and thinking like, there's no way that I'm going to be able to focus in my classes or, or like do any of this if I'm feeling like this so much. So I went over to my friend's house who, at the time they were having, they were the, the place where the heroin dealer came and everyone got their stuff. <clears throat> so I went over there and I was like, hey, uh, so-and-so just broke up with me and I'm not okay. And do, do you have anything and I can do this and then I'll get some tomorrow and it won't be a big deal. They were great friends that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Real supportive. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> actually, one of them is still a very, very good friend of mine, and she she is clean, too, and she was in our wedding. So <laughs> That's really good. People do, people do come out of this, um, fortunately. And, um, yeah, so then the next day I bought my own, which was also the first time that I had ever – bought it for myself, had my own little secret stash, and uh, I, I sat on their couch, my friend's couch at their house, and I <laughs> smoked black tar heroin off a piece of tin foil for hours, and uh, then 
like I remember the moment where I was sitting there like if I keep doing this past like right now I'm going to be hooked like there's no coming back and then on the other side I said yeah okay screw it like that's what I want I don't care just take the dive and I did and then it was I think for another oh another year I held up this semblance of like a normal functioning life and I still went to school and I still did all my work and I still yeah and I remember like I used to walk (laughs) I used to walk across the campus to my classes listening to my music and just like with my (laughs) with my strut like yeah nobody knows that I'm on heroin right now (laughs) I can tell and I'm (laughs) excelling through school and I'm a badass like, I thought I was so cool <laughs> what, what is that oh <laughs> I'm I'm shocked and I understand that your level of intellect my daughter who's 28 now was in college in junior high school mm-hmm. and I used to have to bring her and sit in the classes because she wasn't 18 or in a high school college program and then she got into the high school college program and graduated with like 47 college credits and Mm -hmm. couldn't relate to people her own age and although socially socially you're 17 right but you don't realize that socially you're 17 because academically you're smarter than a lot of adults yeah Yeah. Yeah. that's where I was (laughs) but you still socially are that age and it was it was bridging that gap I mean we got to work through that together and I was there and didn't, I don't think I have mental health issues. So I think I was pretty good, (laughs) but you know, like I recognized it and knew it and understood. Yeah. These guys that you're dating that are your age are the ones that you should probably be dating because they're your age and it might be illegal otherwise, but I, you have nothing in common. Right. And I'm sure you're bored to tears. (laughs) You have to go through like the, so she was, and the person she's been with for eight years is nine years older. And I completely expected that. Yeah, makes I, sense. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I get what you're saying. It's not like you're being stuck up about academically. You're just so far ahead, but I am stunned that you continue to keep that together. Not because you're not smart, but because you're a heroin addict. Like, right. How the hell did you do that? Right. I, I, I mean, eventually the thing, well, there are a couple things that stopped me, but I, I would have kept going for whoever knows how long. Um, until I, I ended up not being able to breathe anymore. And I was, at that point in time, I was injecting it and it went the whole. That whole is a different yards. level. Right. Completely, completely. And of course, you know, I started out with, oh, I'll never pick up a needle. Like it's, it's not bad because I'm not shooting it. <laughs> that <sighs> happened. I got there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there, there was uh, one night where I, I just, I couldn't breathe. I was coughing so badly and I, I couldn't walk without like having serious breathing issues and couldn't catch my breath. And of course I was also like smoking three packs of cigarettes a day at the time, just like completely not great. Um, I went to the hospital and I had like burned out 67% of my lungs. Oh my <laughs> God. Like it's a miracle that I even, recovered from that you know I do sound pretty awful I have a cough I just am I just had bronchitis after the flu so that is why but um said no no more smoking for me now but uh, I did I I can't believe that I recovered from that and I just chalk it up to being 20 yeah. <laughs> and having a, a young body that can take a punch or five right so you're smoking three packs and you're injecting heroin and you end up in the hospital or were they like, how are you not dead? Yeah. Yeah. They, they thought, they thought I had uh, tuberculosis actually, because I didn't, I didn't tell, I didn't tell the EMTs in the ambulance that, oh yeah, I'm a junkie, by the way. Right. Uh, so I was quarantined for a couple of days and the, and they gave me all the tuberculosis tests and uh, stuck me in this fancy room with like all the sheets and tape and like the hazmat suits. <laughs> right. I, I didn't. I didn't have TV. 
Um, and yeah, th there was a lot of like, how, how are you still alive and how is this happening? Um, and, and then I, you know, spent a few days in the hospital and came back out and, um, well, the whole family got involved and uh, I went to rehab. Oh, um, great. Okay. Yeah. Which was, it, it was, it was a great rehab and I, I learned a lot about myself there and I, I had a lot of like um, revelations about, you know, just drawing up uh, experiences that I had had that had left me with a lot of trauma and, yep. um, and some PTSD stuff and things that I had purposefully hidden and swept under the rug and then suddenly, oh my God, that happened and I remembered and then I fell apart all over again. Um, so that was great, but I started using it again immediately when I got out of rehab. Um, and, you know, I was, I literally, I told someone when they asked me, like, like, you, do you want to get better? And I said, no, I don't want to stop. I don't want to stop. And I was just, you know, I think I was just so done with, you know, like, following the rules and doing what I was supposed to do didn't get me ahead of the game. It didn't, didn't get me out of, you know, the, the, the hell that I was living in with, with my parents and, and, you know, just being a teenager. Right. And it didn't improve anything for me. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go in the opposite direction and I'm just, I'm not going to be a good person. <laughs> I'm not going to have my ducks in a row and I'm not going to be responsible. I'll go the other way and see like, is if I'm, if I'm cheating, maybe I'll get something better out of life. And that didn't work either. And so then at that point I was just like, I'm done. I'm totally like, I don't want to try anymore. I don't want to keep trying. So I, I you know, I told people like, no, I don't want to stop. I'm just going to keep doing this. And, Where uh, were you at in school at this point? Because you were on a two and a half year fast track. How far through were you? And did you finish before you stopped using? Um, I was. In my mind, it's like two years have gone by of college, but it might not be that much time. Yeah, it was. It was. I had taken four semesters, but I took a summer semester so it was okay <coughs> um I don't know it was uh I mean I can tell you the day that I got clean and that was July 19th 2000 um good for you but I, I can't even remember where I was that's all right college, that's okay the college process um yeah but then so I, I ended up going to the hospital again uh after, of course, I was using again, and uh, and the the very real possibility of me dying and losing my life was not enough to get me to stop. Right. Um, but then I did get arrested for possession of a, a Schedule Two narcotic, and went to jail and had a felony charge hanging over my head, and that was what got me to. <laughs> To pull it together and shape up it's different for everybody right your body it's you think oh my god dying in hazmat suits that'll do it but we're all right. wired differently but thinking about yeah. going to prison and having a felony charge that was yeah it. yeah it was like i i don't want this hanging over my head for the rest of my life if i'm going to still be alive like i don't <laughs> i don't want everyone to know about like oh i don't want to have a felony charge no so I, I went through a um, drug court program uh, in Colorado that after, after I completed two years of that and then a, a third year of not getting in any trouble at all whatsoever, um, that entire thing was expunged from my record and gone like it never even happened, just wiped off, which was incredible and uh, was what got me to pull my life back together. Um, and going through that program was also the, the defining moment for me where I realized through speaking with so many different people, um, all the people who were a part of this drug court program and then all the people I met uh, when I, I had to move to Colorado Springs to be a part of it. Um, 
where I realized that I had never been the crazy one <laughs> through my parents' divorce and, and through all the issues with my mother and that uh, there's nothing wrong with me and that uh, what I had experienced and gone through was not normal and that is not how normal parent-child relationships not what they look like um, and that none of it was my fault and I wasn't responsible for any of it and so um, I mean I I had my, my probation officer at the time and, and the magistrate for the court for the stroke court they court ordered me to move out of my mother's house because after I got arrested I was that was part of uh, the bail for <laughs> bailing me out <laughs> but I lived with her <laughs> um, they had they court ordered me to move out of the house good for them I told them she's not going to let me leave she will physically she'll come up with something she made it part of my bond but I have to live with her she's gonna come up with something else to keep me here and wow. I was suicidal and I was and I told them that and I said like look I, I was thinking about hanging myself last night so I need to get out of this house um can you do anything? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yep. Good. Court next week, you will have your order to move out. And they did, and that that saved me. Like, just just knowing that there are people out there who, like, they didn't, they didn't know me. They didn't know my whole life story. They didn't grow up with me. They hadn't met any of these other people in my life. Right. But they took what I said at face value because I was telling them, and they said, oh, we got you. You can do this, no problem. We'll do what we do because we have the power to to help. Yep. Because you're worth it and you deserve it, and you don't deserve any of this other stuff. So we're on your side. And I was like, these people are complete strangers, and they are doing all this to help me. And that completely that was a game changer. Oh, so that was the next thing I kind of wanted to segue in is like, <laughs> what were the tools? What helped you? I know that. Like going to rehab probably played a part in it retrospectively, even though you mm -hmm. use because you realized you had PTSD and you know, like you were learning a lot of things about yourself. You weren't yeah. ready, but you it set a foundation. Yeah. And then the felony charge was your bottom. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. people who didn't know you, who believed in you and thought you were worth it, was actually a huge. That was enormous yeah. for you. That was what I. That was what I needed because with, with all these issues with really just my mother specifically um i other people from the outside other family members or other uh, family friends or you know my mentors like my piano instructor you know i took lessons from her for 12 years she saw a lot um everyone else saw what was happening and saw that it wasn't okay and saw that it wasn't right um and no one did anything yeah. and no one said I will stand up for you. And so then that just, and I know it wasn't intentional on their part, but I think it was as it was everyone else's way of uh, protecting themselves from the backlash of what would happen if they tried to stand up to this one particular woman. <laughs> and uh, so, so no, nobody did anything or no one was aware of the fact that something could be done. Um, and so when I had, you know, complete strangers in a situation where you know most people look at <laughs> someone who just stopped using heroin and someone who is facing a felony charge and living in a sobriety house and has kind of a job <laughs> like most people don't look at people in the situation and say you are worth it and we will do what we can to help you and like we don't need to know where you come from because this is what we do and and you do deserve it so yeah after after not having any of that from anyone in my life for 20 years having that from complete strangers was the the switch that flipped in my mind and and then and then i just pulled myself up out of that hole isn't that crazy ever since yeah when did you so you did you graduate college after this uh, no, you had already graduated. Nope. So you're now on an upward trend bridging and that was in 2000. So bridging mm -hmm. the last 20 years, essentially, mm 
Uh, th that's a yeah. long time. Congratulations. You're coming up on your 20 year clean date in July then. No, 10. 10, 10, 10. 10. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. So it was, it was 2010. It was 2010. 10. I thought you said 2000. Yeah, 2000. I'm like, God, how I old are you? I did say 2000. You know what? I'm an author, not a mathematician. So <laughs> <laughs> you can't blame me for that one. I, I love it. Okay. That so makes much. more sense. So <laughs> 10 years, you're coming up on your 10 year clean time, your clean yes. date. That yes. congratulations. That is amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> and I'm like, how freaking old is she? This doesn't make sense. Okay. So that, uh, that dialed it in for me. <laughs> for a heroin addict that's 80, you look really good. I know right how you well, but I <laughs> so tell me in the last 10 years, let's I want to wrap up because clearly you still use writing and it was your escape for quite a while. Like we kind of said at the beginning and now it's like this job and this profession and this need and this just passion and something that you love and you could take it in a million different directions and monetize mm -hmm. it, which is like, I'm so proud of you for that. Yeah, um, thank you. yeah, it's hard and it's great and good for you. I mean, so if thank you decide you. you don't want to ghostwrite, you can edit or you can you open up the publishing house or it's mm -hmm. so great. Is that one of the tools that you used to go on that upward? I want to talk about the last 10 years from then, that clean, t that clean date to now. And tell me what else, what were the things that you did to get through it and make it better? Yeah. Um, I actually didn't write a single word of fiction for four years after I got clean. Um, didn't touch it. And that was... Uh, I didn't feel like I deserved to be able to do something that made me so happy and that defined Ugh. me because I had in my mind, I did all this stuff on purpose. I turned myself into an addict on purpose and I didn't care about anyone else on purpose. And so like, why do I get to just, it was so easy. Now I'm clean and I'm out. Like I don't deserve to keep doing this. So that was what I really struggled with after getting clean way more than um way more than like a, a urges to use or you know right. way, way more than any other addictive tendencies um because that was really the core of it the source of it was that i am not worthy of <laughs> right. just being happy just doing what i what i want you know um, and that came from years and years and years and years of being told that uh, I owed <laughs> other people my life because they gave it to me. <laughs> so, um, and that makes and me so, so mad. <laughs> I know. I know. It's, it's yeah. It's not. <laughs> it's not the way things work. But that that right. But you didn't know that the first that twenty years your... of my life. Yes. You know, that, right. That was that was where I came from. Um, and uh, I met. It was, I was I was really involved in the recovery community uh, for the first couple of years when I was living in Colorado Springs and I got clean. I wasn't writing, um, but I was doing a lot of rock climbing and a lot of hiking and backpacking. And I got a grown up job, which was which was great for me at the time. And I, I worked at a law firm. Um, and, uh, I met my husband right before, say three weeks before my two year clean date. Mm -hmm. Um, and we met at a barbecue and he was the only person I didn't know there at this, at this barbecue of friends. Um, and we just hit it off right away and, uh, we started living together after two weeks of knowing each other and dating and uh four months later we moved from colorado to south carolina where he's from and everyone thought we were insane and everyone thought, like what is wrong with you you don't even know each other why are you moving across the country what are you gonna do i don't know but we made it work um and uh, finding someone who got me on every single level even if it drove him nuts or <laughs> You know, like I don't understand why you're doing this, but I understand how to help you. So, and and we are that for each other. So that was right. super huge, super huge. And he is also like we 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 complement each other so much. We're even still in the ways 
of, you know, where I'd always been like, oh, I will put my needs last because I don't deserve it. I'm not deserving. Like I owe everyone else for my existence. So I'm, you know, <laughs> he's kind of the opposite and he <laughs> will stroll through and say, I'm here. I'm going to make things happen. You can like it or not. <laughs> I don't care what you think about me. So <laughs> yes, I have learned so much from him in just, in just watching him be like, he is everywhere that he right. is. When he, when he shows up somewhere, he's there and you, <laughs> you can't not notice. <laughs> right. Um, and so, and I've, I've really learned a lot, uh, from him that way. Um, and learning just to, uh, to step into the things that, you know, make me happy and to trust my intuition. You know, if I, if something makes me feel gross and like anxious and like crap about myself, pretty good sign that's not in the right direction. So I pick something else. Um, and, and I've learned to trust myself and give myself more credit instead good. of Instead of saying that, you know, like, ah, I'm just floating through it. I don't know. Um, I think these days now, the biggest, absolute biggest thing um, is having a daughter of my own. <laughs> yes. So you guys have been together for eight years and you have a three-year-old. You mentioned that at the beginning and yes. your husband can stay at home now because you're a badass author. So <laughs> yay to that. And yeah, that changes you, huh? Yes, it does. It absolutely does. And, uh, and, and I have made decisions for my daughter and for the three of us and my family that I would not have made, uh, without her, like if she wasn't born, um, because I'm driven now to protect her from the things that no one protected me from. Yeah. And, uh, that is a hugely empowering thing too, because I can, I can say no, and I can say, this is my life and this is what I'm doing. And, uh, all of the stuff that you are doing is not okay. And I'm not going to put up with it. And you don't have to, I don't have to. And I, and I don't feel bad about it. Um, because of my daughter, because I know it's not just me being, <laughs> me being a jerk. Right. I, because I think the whole world owes me something that was ingrained in my head. Um, <laughs> and it's not me just, you know, reacting or making a big deal out of something. And it's literally me protecting my daughter. Um, and that is my, like, <laughs> of course I'm going to do that. <laughs> there's no, right. there's no question. Um, and, and that's been huge. I, I won't, <laughs> you know, I won't go around telling people like, Hey, well, if, if you, want to step into your empowerment, have a kid. <laughs> <laughs> that is not the solution. Okay. I'm glad that like dial it back. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Yes. You've got the most empowerment from having a child. However, <laughs> caveat here, because you know, usually like I told you in the beginning, <laughs> usually I like to end like, what advice would you give others? That is right. <laughs> not the advice. <laughs> But it was the same for me, though. And I didn't have a child thinking it would fix anything. I never no, was yeah, no, me neither. by that. Right. But when I had a child, it shifted everything for me. Like, wow, I yeah. can make this anything I want it to be. And now I can protect her. I also lost a lot of respect for parents that didn't do well. Mine. Yeah. Mine mm -hmm. first. Mm -hmm. And then other parents. Because how can you have this child and look at them and then do to them what you did to me? Yeah. You know what I mean? So it, yeah. when you're at the point of becoming a parent, you really want to make a difference in your life and you have a child, it does, but we're, we're not saying, so, Catherine's not telling you guys to get knocked up. <laughs> no, no. And I, I was always, uh, until I met my husband, basically, it was like, I'm never getting married. That's the dumbest thing ever. I'm never having kids that's even dumber. Like, right. no, like, no. And then here I am. <laughs> so let me see if I can sum up a couple of things to, to, to end on our high note, you finally embraced what you were passionate about that you loved. You had punished yourself for four years by not writing and you finally embraced what you're, and you knew that you were worth it. You were worth it to other people. 
-hmm. you started to realize your own worth and mm -hmm. then you funneled that passion in and then you you continued on a healing journey whether it was other people or the recovery program or a, a rehab pro i mean it could be a million different things that helps you in that journey mm -hmm. but you realize that you were worth it at some point and having a yeah. child drove that home even more yeah it, it yeah it drove it home even more yeah to the point where i could step up and do what was right period bottom line do what was right and not worry about uh, what anyone else is going to think or how anyone else is going to feel except for my daughter <laughs> and like uh amazingly i have never felt better <laughs> good ever in my life um yeah and I, and I and i think one of the most important things i learned is that uh is, is how important it is to forgive ourselves thing you know like and that is a huge theme even that I write about in my books and I talk about that a lot that that the mistakes we make don't define who we are going forward in the future you know that we should not let ourselves redefine who we are because we made poor decisions you know or don't stay in that you know like just just because I was a heroin addict and you know, had legal issues and was in the hospital and almost died and went to rehab doesn't mean that I can't do all the things that I'm doing right now. And it doesn't mean that, you know, I am any less worth a life that I am seriously in love with right now because it can change. And that's, that's not who I am. It's something I did. <laughs> that's a great place to end. Thank you, Catherine, so much. <laughs> Thank I, you. Guys. I had so, I mean, what a wild ride. It was really fun. Thank you so much. Of course. Thanks for having me.